Hey everybody, how's it going? Hope you're having a great day. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we make it our aim to practice our theology in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. And I have a feeling that some folks listening to this podcast today with little Kentucky headhunters going on in the background are having some memories right now, some flashbacks going on right now. What do you think, Chris? Uh, we kind of went a different direction in the music today <laughs> than normal. <laughs> so people were, if you were expecting something different, that's fun. But uh, yeah, that takes you back there. Man, some eclectic tastes up in here, man. I, it's how we roll. It's how we roll. When you go back to the 80s, well, at least for me, I'm, man, I have this rainbow of music that I love. Everything from country to rap to, uh, yeah, you name it, like techno. It's, I have a really eclectic taste in music. Yeah. So I can go from Easy E NWA to Kentucky Headhunters and never miss a beat. Me too. That's how it rolls. That's how you it rolls, gotta, man. Whatever you're in the mood for. Hey, you know, when when you have good taste, you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's spread the love out. <laughs> spread the love out. Hey, we appreciate you guys listening and putting up with some of our foolishness. It's kind of fun. Thinking deeply about our world as followers of Jesus Christ can, can be a lot of fun. And so I have fun with it. Appreciate uh, appreciate all the fun we can have and, and laugh at even Kentucky Headhunters. But you shouldn't laugh at that song. You should enjoy that song, but maybe laugh at our foolishness along the way. Hey, we appreciate you guys uh, engaging. Uh, appreciate emails, thoughts, uh, conversations that I get to have outside of this podcast because you're listening. That's a lot of fun. Um, if you have a question, something you'd like for us to dive deeper into, you can send it to theologyandthedirt at gmail.com, and we're glad to look after it, and we will get into it at some point. Um, thank you for those who support the podcast and uh, and by giving money, but also by leaving us a rating and sharing the podcast. That's good stuff. And so as we move into our day today, there perhaps is something worthy of discussing in the news. Chris, last night I'm uh, looking through the Twitters. Uh, long week of training. I've uh, been doing Making Sense of Your Worth here at Restoration Rome and Parenting for Positive Self-Worth. And we got folks from all over the country here in our building, which is awesome. Uh, we're, we're getting trained and, and preparing to do that training and help our community and um, TBRIing our world. And so I'm, my, my soul is full and I'm emotionally tired. So I'm scrolling through the Twitters just mindlessly and I see an AP Associated Press report. The president was at a fundraising event, and uh, and and then I looked it up on on some news. So Axios and AP News last night a fundraising event. President Biden made the statement that we are closer, we are as close as we've been to Armageddon uh, as we were in the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, with uh, Vladimir Putin's threats to use tactical nuclear weapons against Ukraine and, and even NATO allies over the annexed regions of Ukraine that they annexed and invaded and that Ukraine has fought them back and pushed them out. And so he is using the threat of tactical nuclear weapons for the president to acknowledge that we're as close as we've been to that event as we were at the Cuban Missile Crisis. Had me uh, concerned. The Cuban yeah. Missile Crisis... You and I weren't alive. I've read a lot, listened to a lot of podcasts, which, by the way, the podcast, um, uh, The Cold War, What We Saw, is insanely amazing. 
So if you don't know the Cold War, don't know anything about the Cuban Missile Crisis, I encourage you to go listen to that podcast. You'll learn a lot. But um, that's scary, Chris. It's very scary. I mean, you kind of you know that there's things that are going on, kind of without your knowledge, um, in, in with national security and all those things. Like you just never know. But um, certain there's just certain leaders that like you just think, hey, they might pull the trigger on one of these one day, and yeah. Think of that, and I'm just thankful, <laughs> thankful yeah. to be saved, man. I'm thankful if that happens. <laughs> right. All right. More. You know, I hope it doesn't. But right. Well, you, you just think it's hard not to get down the um, the trail of if they use a tactical nuke, um, you want to prevent them from using more tactical nukes. So, do you nuke in response? And if you do, what do they do? Do they start flying off ICBMs? across the Atlantic to key cities in the United States. Like, I mean, does that truly trigger, how do you respond? I, I do not envy president Biden and his team right now. I, yeah. I, cause I, I mean, I would say if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and, and you believe in the power of prayer, pray for your president, and your country. I mean, to say that publicly is a big deal. Now, now I know president Biden is not, uh, I don't want to be too critical here, but he's, he's not in the best mental health. He's older and you see some videos around of him kind of struggling on the stage. Wow. And and I also know he has a team around him, too. So um, if Vladimir Putin uses a tactical nuke, um, they have to make some hard decisions. Do you respond with a nuke? Uh, how do you respond? Does it Particularly if they use a nuke on a NATO ally, we're pledged to respond. How do you respond? With what do you respond? I, that's awful. I uh, don't appreciate uh, them being put in that position, and, and I— don't envy them, and I'm, my prayers go to the Lord on their behalf today. Feels like a no-win situation when it comes to that. Yeah. It, it, if you don't do anything, you set yourself up and your country up to be attacked. And if you do the wrong thing, you're you know, talking about millions of lives yeah. either lost or affected, yeah. not just in Russia. I mean, All over the world. Yeah. So Nuclear fallout from the blast from nuclear winter to – long-term cancer issues it's there's a it's a no win if putin decides to use a tactical nuke that is a uh that's a world-altering decision so a lot of lot to be concerned with i'm sure folks a lot of folks were more concerned with the colts and broncos terrible offensive showing last night but i could not get past because it's one thing if you get there's some nutso twitter accounts and nutso news sites that are just they're bots they're planted Russian and American sources that use social media to, we know that. But um, when AP publishes the news report and it's this morning, it's on the, you know, Axios has it up and that's concerning to me. So that's my news bit. That's a little bit of a downer, <laughs> but I can't help but notice it because as people go through the day today, they're going to read that and, uh, and rightfully should have a little bit of a, a little bit of a hitch in their giddy up today. For sure. Mine's not that disappointing. I, hey, give us some lightness here, Chris. Give us some good news. Well, first off, I just need to say the Braves have won five straight NL East division champs. Oh. <laughs> Way to go, Mets. <laughs> um, but my actual news topic for today um, is, speaking of Twitter, Twitter and Elon Musk have finally agreed on a sale. Legit? Legit. Wow. And so he'll be purchasing Twitter. Um he so he's had this desire for an app called X for a long time where it's kind of like a do everything super app. Okay. And 
I think he's, you know, he believes his acquisition on Twitter will help him. And that certainly that gives him a quite a large base, but China has an app called WeChat that's similar. It's like, it's Twitter. It's has some aspects of Facebook. You can pay and buy things from it. So it's got like some PayPal Venmo. So I think he really wants to create this app that kind of does everything. Um, and certainly he, hopefully he follows through with his desire to get rid of a lot of these bots on Twitter to, I know he mentioned adding an edit button, which will save a lot of people from getting canceled. <laughs> Please give us, an you know, a, a little bit of thought before you tweet would help people too. Right. Um, or, or don't drunk tweet, but, um, <laughs> and then hopefully he'll get rid of some of this very, very serious liberal biased bent that Twitter has too. Right. And just kind of eliminate some of that. So we'll see if that's, what happens, but that was pretty big news and we'll see if he can, that's going to be tough to get everybody to get, stop using all these other big apps to go to one app if he wants to do that. Right. But that would be awesome to not toggle between Facebook, Insta chat and the Twitters. That would be amazing. I saw something the other day that said, if you starting when the pyramids were built, if you earn $78,000 a day from that time to this time, you would still only have a fraction of his wealth. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Just like it. I can't. I don't even get make near seventy eight thousand in a year, yeah. much less. I don't think I can say any words after that. <laughs> that's blowing my mind. I know. I was like, wow, what? Yeah, that's but, insane. Uh, this is the only thing that comes to mind. Roses are red. The Braves wear blue. The Mets lost the East. Boo, who, who? Chop on, chop tober. <laughs> chop till we drop, baby. <laughs> Hey guys, it's time to rock. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It's time for the final countdown. The show starts in. We appreciate voices, big voices, participation in the podcast, and it is time indeed to rock. So, Chris, today we're going to be continuing um, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. We're studying through, we're looking through Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and once again, we encourage you to go buy the book. We're not unpacking Pete's content. We're, we're commenting on our learning from Pete's content, and so we encourage you to go buy the book, read it. Um, it's worth every penny you spend on it. And today we're going to be talking about the idea of uncovering and discovering the treasures that are buried in grief and loss. And when I first read through that chapter, the first thing that came to mind for for me was grief and loss are something you uh, try to rush through and get past as quickly as possible and move on because they're painful. Uh, The idea of hanging out in grief and loss uh, for a purpose and for a, a period of time was foreign to me personally. And so what I found, and, and, and it's not as though I haven't read my Bible through plenty of times. I have, I do, I know what's there. Um, 
And this is this is a side note about the reality of the living and active nature of the scriptures. You know, Hebrews four twelve tells us the scriptures are living and active, and sharper than two edged sword. And and so the fact that the word of God is alive, um, that there is a living spiritual nature to the scriptures, uh, lends lends itself to the reality that as we read and study the scriptures on a daily basis, hopefully. It's not that it says new things. It doesn't say new things. It says what it says. It says facts. It says truth. That truth does not change. But our perception and our insight into what is there um, hopefully grows as we grow in our maturity in Christ and, and as we we see the greater golden thread of the whole narrative of the Scriptures woven together. One author, 66 book, 66 chapters, uh, multiple scribes who wrote down this one cohesive narrative we grow deeper into that. And so the living and active scriptures give us uh, multiple insights. So what I found as I studied this was grief and loss are all over the Bible. And and the truth of the matter is, um, whether prescriptive or descriptive, I don't know, um, they spent a lot more time dwelling in grief and loss than I was willing to spend in grief and loss. And then you got half the Psalms are laments. They're, this is awful. This is bad. God, help me. Get them. Bring justice. I'm hurting. This is bad. I'm hurting. I'm crying. My bones are weary. I I roll around in my bed. I can't sleep at night. I don't want to eat. I don't want to drink. God, I feel like I'm passing away. This is bad. And it's just like full. And I'm like, holy cow. There's a lot there that I needed to acknowledge God was saying to me in his in his word about grief and loss and and most of my life of 49 years I was unwilling to acknowledge that or to even dwell in it like here's a I was in it I was denying that I was in it and by denying it there was no processing it or getting out of it yeah it's it's a difficult topic cuz it's you're right it's something we try to avoid um, because it's hurtful. I mean, we don't. It's not like you want to embrace hurtful things, but Scripture is littered with examples of how the Lord blesses His people through grief and loss. I mean, Job comes to mind right off the bat. I mean, that entire book is is not a fun thing to read. Uh, Abraham was sent to the brink of brink of grief and almost lost when he was asked to sacrifice Isaac. Uh, he was kind of preparing himself for grief and loss, and then. Yeah. Didn't have to, but still, um, David dealt with it. So did Jeremiah, um, Joseph. There are beautiful treasures and an opportunity to connect deeply with the Lord in grief and loss. And it's important we properly grieve through our losses in order to meet him there. Yeah, uh, And that's a hard thing to think of when you're in it. Cause just like, just like when the emotions are on a high end, like you're, you know, we, we went through this last October with the Braves, for example, if you're a big sports fan and you, you commit emotionally to these, to these teams and to their run. When they make a championship run, you get on this emotional high. Like, it drains you right. physically, emotionally, mentally. Like, you feel that afterwards. On the opposite spectrum, too, grief and loss just drains you um, because yeah. the brain is all about survival. Yeah. And so the brain doesn't like to process the stress of that because it's rewired. When we experience trauma, I mean, you know this, when we experience trauma or loss, our brain is basically rewired, and yeah. it just doesn't want to deal with that yeah because it goes straight into survival mode and that's at, at that point it's about make sure i don't experience any more loss that's right exactly it bypasses the the frontal lobe the high processing of information and it stays in fight flight freeze or fawn like it's it's right there and it's in that survival mode and 
and and to not work ourselves intentionally into higher processing functions, which the Bible gives us instruction on doing. It's there in the manual. Um, we have to pay attention to it. Secondly, uh, there is, um, and and this again, I have I have all you know me my rabbit trails, but I'm frustrated in the Christian world with us theological types, um, unwilling to learn from the world around us that have studied this intently because all truth is God's truth. The truth, the, the reality is God wired the universe the way he wired it. It's wired a certain way. It works a certain way. Humans work a certain way because God wired them to work that way. Now, whether those who discover these things or not acknowledge Jesus, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God of the Bible, as the source of that, that's their problem. But if they study, if they to put put life under a microscope and study how things work and discover how something works, that's how God wired it to work. Mm-hmm. And God wired the human brain to work a certain way. And he wired the soul in its uh, relationship to the physical tent that it dwells in uh, to work a certain way. And those yeah. things cross over and work together. And so there is a way to actually process ourselves out of survival mode into understanding what happened to us, processing it healthily, dealing with it, and then being able to move from it in a healthy manner. And 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 we have ignored that in, in my world of theological pastoral leading for far too long and just, just said, well, pray, read your Bible. Mm-hmm. And praying and reading your Bible are good, but they alone do not initiate nor run the process of healing. They give us a theological reason to do it and to some degree some instruction, but there are things to learn about grief and loss that help us see them not as something to avoid, but as something to sit in and learn from the Lord. And and I think Job um, Job has some some help in that. Yeah. As, but right before we get into more of that and how the church is, has this problematic response, um, just some let's just talk about some of the practicalities of grief and loss and how that affects us. Um, you know, no one escapes loss in this world. It comes in a variety of forms. Uh, we all have been or will be devastated due to loss through death of a loved one, natural disasters, catastrophes, murder, rape, COVID nineteen, illness, cancer, suicide, uh, getting fired or laid off. Um, betrayal, divorce, infertility, so many more. There's so many examples. We all respond to loss differently, but at some point we all grow through what are called the stages of grief, right? And then, you know, you've, mm. I know you've been through a lot of these trainings. That's how I'm about. There's five stages of grief, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And so we all, some people don't, some people go through them in order. Some people bounce around, but typically we hit all of them at some point in time before we're able to process it. Um, Grief cannot and should not be quick. And I think that's part of what you were saying earlier is it's yeah. we want to get out of that phase quickly, but that's just not how we're wired to move through it quickly. And if we try to get out of it quickly, that's when we miss those treasures we mentioned. Right. Uh, when we experience loss and trauma, you know, we talked about our brains being rewired. The stress of the death of a loved one, it jolts our personal identity. It messes up our view of how we fit into the world. It sounds, and it sounds like a philosophical problem nature but the brain is built to perceive an ex- existential i can't talk 
a strong threat <laughs> as a threat to our very existence. Existential. Existential. Yeah. Thank you. Your existence is threatened, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and, right. We, and that's, and the brain is built to, to perceive that and to, right. that's when we kind of jump into that fight or flight or freeze or fawn response. Yep. Stress hormones course throughout your body. Your heart starts racing. Blood pressure increases. Respiratory rate increases. Uh, you start sweating. You know, the, so the body is, it starts defending itself and it starts defending to protect you and yourself one way or another, because that's yep. what it's doing. It's perceiving a threat to you now, and that's what it goes into. So someone who's experienced a traumatic loss might feel a response kick in when they enter a restaurant that reminds them of a loved one, Yep. you know, or even when someone brings them up in conversation, which, you know, we, we use that term trigger. Yep. Um, and that's why it's so important not to under, only to understand the effects of grief and loss and trauma, but also to develop proper coping skills and the only way to heal through that is processing that and then also through connection. That's right. Um, and that's why we do the trainings we do. People have to understand the why behind the trauma and loss, as, but also their response to it. Yeah. And how do, we, how do we change our response to that so that we can get through that? Absolutely. Grief and loss not properly processed ends. And th- this is how the wise creator Jesus wired our bodies to work. And this is the devastating effect of sin on the physical creation. Um, grief and loss, not properly processed, ends in physical ailment. Uh, Nadine Burke Harris, I know you know this, uh, did a TED talk. We use um, she's she's a doctor. She did a TED talk on on this issue that we use in TBRI training, uh, where Kaiser Permanente uh, and and some insurance companies are just just massive amounts of uh, physical maladies. Um, what's the source and what's the cause? And uh, you think um, something in the water, um, some, something that's creating these things. And what they found was uh, it was adverse childhood experiences, ACEs. And what's interesting is before people get down the road of thinking that's demographically located in certain poorer demographics, it's actually 70% were white, middle, and upper class and so what, what they found in this study was that adverse childhood experiences, grief and loss, contributed to higher increases of um, lung cancer, higher increases of uh, various uh, COPD, various maladies in the body. And, and, and then people get down the road of, oh, well, that's just bad choices, bad decision-making. And those bad decisions sometimes um, are related to trying to cope with poorly the consequence of grief and loss not properly processed, but lest you think it's only bad choices, it's not. What they found was in many cases where there weren't bad health decisions, it was simply the body's overuse and production of cortisol and various stress hormones uh, constantly being produced because grief and loss isn't processed that ends in early death because of various physical maladies. So the truth of the matter is grief and loss, there are treasures to find, but in finding the treasures, we have to process it and be able to flush it in order to be healthy. And and to ignore those processes, particularly as followers of Jesus, is a uh, is a mistake on our part. Yeah, Schizero lays out two major problematic responses of the church when it comes to grief or loss. I'm going to add an extra one on the front end here, is, and that's, we have to stop separating science from scripture and realize that science is just the data and information of how we were created. 
That's right. And, and we have to understand biology. We have to understand our, the biochemical nature of our inner beings. We have to understand the inner workings of our brain and how that affects everything because that's how we were divinely and brilliantly created. And yes. when we try to separate those and say, well, that's, that's, that's not a Christian thing. You know, we don't need to, we just, you just need to pray. We don't understand that. Well, there's more than that involved. That's right. You shouldn't not pray, but you can't just tell someone who's dealing with that to, you need to, you just need to pray and trust God. Right. Well, they can't process that because they're all about survival right now. That's right. And so they need more than that. And yeah. so I think that's a big one that it's not in the book. That's just a freebie for you. But um, <laughs> I agree. The first one he, he lays out is we resist losing control. Uh, we, you know, we hate giving up control and grief and loss does exactly that. Our culture highly devalues loss and grief. And when we experience this type of pain and loss and hurt, we tend to either quickly deny it or minimalize it. And um, and the churches tend to do that for people that deal with. They're like, "Oh, you just, you know, that's you'll be okay." Like some, you know, whether it's a a woman dealing with um, a, a bad divorce or coming out of an abusive relationship, or it's someone who was sexually abused as a young child and still and dealing with the effects of it. You know, we the church often minimalizes that or just denies it. And we saw this exactly with the SBC and things we've talked about in past episodes. Um, we put up these defense mechanisms that tell us and others that you know, we're fine or we blame others or we just avoid it altogether, which is unhealthy and dangerous. Um, mm. The church is often more focused on wrong views of success and trying to protect images of joy and happiness and fun and celebration and all those good things. Jesus is good and God is good and, you know, we just need to be happy. If we, if we if we were more spiritual, we would be happy. All these kind of right. just lies. And um, mm. we, they'd rather do that than dive into people's hurt and pain and trauma with them mm-hmm. and the impact of that. Right. Loss demands grief. Hurt demands healing, and it's, it's not optional. Yeah. Mm. It, it, that's exactly it. It isn't optional. And if we sit in it, here's the thing that I had to experience um, when when the – the uh, log that broke the camel's back fell on this camel's back. The reason this camel's back broke was because of unprocessed grief and loss. And and what will happen is uh, unprocessed grief and loss decreases our resiliency, decreases our capacity to handle difficult, stressful situations because so much of our physical existence and so much of our emotional existence is taken up in this undercurrent of survival, of constant fight, flight, or freeze. And and if it is not dealt with, if we don't speak to it as, A, as humans, but I would even say uh, AA, <laughs> or maybe A as Christians, and then AA just as humans, if we don't address it, we're actually going to decrease lifespan. Like It, it will end in us not living as long as our body's potential could have. Now, I recognize all of our days are laid out. I know Psalm 139. God knows our beginning from our end. And so I'm not talking about impeding the supernatural sovereign work of God, but what I am talking about is the days laid out for us. Um, man, man, we, we can make them quality or we can make them unquality. And, and some of that's our decision-making between now and then. Um, and, and, and if God has so ordained the hastening of that, that death, by my foolishness, by not dealing with this, okay. But but between now and then, we can make better decisions that will help us have a quality of life and, I would argue, bring glory to God 
as the source of that healing because it's his processes and we discover them in the name of Jesus. We heal the world around us and we live a better life and, and we simply have to process it. Yeah. I think one of the biggest struggles, I'm not a pastor, but I've just seen this a lot. It's oftentimes I feel like pastors because they're so focused on serving and being there for their people and carrying the weight and the burdens of their people that they don't deal with their own grief and loss. And, and you know, this well, you can't help lead someone to their healing if you haven't gone through and dealt with your own hurt and loss yourself. Right. And so this is, so for any pastors listening up, this is my advice and my, my comfort and encouragement to you. It is not selfish to take away or to dive into those who are closest to you when you need healing and grieving. It is not selfish to process your own stuff. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you less spiritual. Right. It is imperative that you do that. Yeah. And you can't help others until you do. Don't carry around all those burdens along with your own. Yeah. It's it's not even possible. It's arrogant to believe you can do that. Um, and, and it's impossible to be in any kind of spiritual leadership, whether you're a pastor or whatever, however your church is organized, without carrying grief and loss. Because if you have relationships, if you're just in a small group and or or, or you hang out with other Christians in some we you you know my stuff. We're not even a small group together, but you know my stuff. Yeah. Um, you can't help but carry that because you have knowledge of it. And as soon as you know somebody you love is hurting, you carry it. Mm-hmm. And so it's impossible to help other people carry their burdens if we don't get help carrying ours. And 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 again, it, I I would say um, just like you get a checkup. I don't know what how frequently people go to the doctor, but I have the old flush coming here soon at age 50. I've gotten my doctor's orders. We don't neglect our biological existence, or we shouldn't. Um, we should not ignore our soul's existence. And, and I would say go to a good, as a Christian, go to a solid um, Christian counselor who sees the benefit in using all psychological and biblical resources to help you process your soul. Um, your soul is as vital as your body. They work together. And if one's unhealthy, the other's going to be unhealthy. And it's going to make you a better pastor and shepherd because when you deal with your own stuff and you start to become aware of the effects of it in your own life, yeah, you become more aware of those around you. And then you can actually help walk them through that because of your experience, because of how you've dealt with that. Yep. And so I, it just it not only makes you better and healthier, it helps you make more emotionally healthy disciples because you've made yourself one. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, And as a result of that, either us processing those things well or not is going to affect our parenting. And then, and then we're going to, we're talking down the line. We either pass on unprocessed grief and loss, or we pass on healthy processing of grief and loss and we raise healthy kids. Um, and you talk about generational shift. This really yeah. matters. So let me give you two things. Let me give you. I'm gonna give you two things that I I think are are treasures here. He talks about treasures buried in grief and loss. Um, the first treasure I've discovered uh, buried in grief and loss is the uh, absolute exhilaration of feeling. Um, for me, uh, burying this stuff and pretending it's not there. Uh, clearly didn't work. Um, and what I found is 
God made us sensory beings to feel. And numbness is not good. Um, numbness, uh, and, and this, is, this sounds weird, but even negative emotions have a sense of joy to them in that I'm alive and I feel. And that is a new joy for me. Um, to be able to, to acknowledge that feeling and go, that's not a positive emotion, but I feel it. And to be able to feel it and know it and name it. And I know for some people listening to this, they're probably thinking, that is basic humanity, Jolly. What's your problem? Well, there are lots of problems. I couldn't even name emotions. I couldn't put names to them. And and it scared me. It brought fear. It's like, what is that? Why am I responding? Why is my body responding this way? Why is my heart rate up? Why am I sweating? What is this? This is not bad. Am I dying? What's going on? I couldn't name an emotion. And to be able to feel and to be able to say, oh, that's, that's anger. That's that that's actually a fear or this is like that's amazing to me. And 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 as strange as it is to build a name and emotion to feel is a treasure. And it's a health. Second thing I would say is a treasure for me is is um and I, I, I take this straight from Job is um I get to know God. Um the Bible is pretty clear that God grieves. Jesus is called the man of sorrow who is acquainted with grief. He understood what it was to carry grief and loss. Um, Job, and I know there there are lots of questions when you deal with the first two chapters of Job. Um, But Job chapter 1, particularly verse 21 and 22, and then Job chapter 2, verse 10, um, I think it's clear God did not do the devastation. Satan did. And Job still, however, attributes as ultimate cause all of that to God. And it's almost as if the inspired scriptures, and we believe the inerrant, inspired nature of the Bible, God anticipated our pushback. But don't you see? Don't you understand? And God responds in verse 21 and 22 of Job 1, and in this, Job did not sin. It was no sin for Job to say, God's the ultimate source. God didn't do it. His hands did not do the evil, but Job understood that it was God who allowed whatever means to do it. But that's not where the story ends. It's Job 42.5. And the ESV version says, I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job's faith in the Lord turned into sight. The treasure Job got out of all of his grief and loss was he got to know intimately, face-to-face, the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ. He saw him. And that's it, is we get to know God. And I don't think we can know him well until we know him in grief and loss because he knows what that's like. And the writer of Hebrews says he's a merciful and faithful high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses in every way as we have, but without sin. And I'm going to tell you, the face-to-face knowledge of God is worth absolutely every bit of it. That's so good, and it's so true. It's in those those moments and those pits of deep despair and those you know moments of deep hurt that's when we really, really find him. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of leads us into our, our, our kind of final section for today. 
Um, Skazera outlines God's three phases for processing grief and loss. And the first phase one is paying attention to pain. Uh, since the beginning, grieving through loss and pain has been a distinctive characteristic of God's people. Even the Lord grieved about the wickedness of humanity in Genesis 6-6 uh, during Noah's time. Uh, the entire book of Job, as you mentioned, is about anguish and loss and grief and pain and depression and anger and so on. Jeremiah wrote an entire book called Lamentations. Um, right. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 4, you know, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to weep and a time to mourn. Um, you know, even Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, uh, knowing that we will. Um, Jesus dealt with grief and anguish in the garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22. So we can't, we cannot ignore pain or skip past grief and loss and be emotionally healthy or spiritually healthy. Frankly, it hurts our physical health as well, right. uh, trying to do so. You mentioned the Psalms earlier. The Psalms are such a wonderful example of um, how to properly handle grief and loss, learning how to lament, how to express hurt and sorrow, mm. seeking to find the joy and peace that the Lord freely gives in our mourning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, more than half the Psalms are not cheerful. They're not happy. Like We tend to think of them that way because a lot of the most of the songs that come out of the Psalms yeah. are like the happy ones. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is great. You know, mm-hmm. we, you know, we think of Psalm 23, but even in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, mm-hmm. you know, I will There's fear no, like, the acknowledgement <laughs> that I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, David was a great leader and very attentive towards his own grief, but he also taught those who followed him and trained them to see that as well, uh, which is a great example. I think when leaders do this well, it sends the message to their people. Number one, it's okay to deal with your hurt and that we value that. We value when you're hurting because we value you and we'll walk with you through that. I think mm. it's, and, and that's for the church too. It's not just, not just giving someone a list of things to do, but I'm going to walk through this with you. Yeah. And I know for you, that was transformational is just knowing that people, not only that people cared or praying, but people that were almost feeling hurt because you were hurt. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. like, and I, I know moments of my life when I've been that way, like just, it's not, it's one thing to know people understand they've been through hurt and can empathize. But when people are like intentionally putting themselves in a place of sadness and mourning for you yeah. out of love, yeah, that's, that's what good leaders do. That's what, Mm-hmm. making healthy disciples it's about is walking through that with them and making sure they know, mm. you know, you're going to fall, but I'm here. Yeah. The Lord's here and I'm here. Yeah. And you're not going to walk through this alone. Yeah. Like that brings about such great healing more so than it does trying to do it alone. Man, it does. That's huge. That's huge. And in, in, in fellowship and community, right? It's, right. um, it's, it's, uh, it's being able to process this stuff out and talking and crying um, and presence, mm-hmm. um, those things, those things are healthy means. They're trinitarian means of dealing with the curse of sin and how it's affected creation and creating grief and loss. But the human can process it, yeah, and walk victoriously out of it into into healing. Yeah, out of that comes this glorious grace. Blessings pour out. Eternal treasures are built up, and ultimately, Christ will be magnified. The worship worship coming out of that is so authentic yeah. and real. Yeah, when we're able to to be like, you know, we sing these songs when everything's fine. It's kind of like we're just singing them. It doesn't mean we don't mean them. But when you're singing these songs that lift up Christ, of Him being with us, His love never fails. We start singing those kind of phrases and words, and you're like, I literally just saw that 
in my life for real. Right. That's when authentic worship is birthed and it's contagious. It is contagious. I agree. It's cool to see that. It is. Um, Phase two is wait in the confusing in between. Uh, Grief and loss cause great confusion oftentimes. I mean, how many times do we say, we're asking God, why? Like, why am I going through this? Why are you doing this? Even in a healthy, emotionally healthy state, we're still asking, what do you want? What are you trying to teach me here, Lord? Like, yeah. and, and, and of course, other times we're just screaming and yelling and crying, like, why are you, how could you do this? I mean, it's right. like, like, what are you doing? What am I supposed to, how am I supposed to learn out of this, Lord? What are you doing? And mm. no doubt that can be hard, uh, especially considering how much our culture pushes things like busyness and productivity and having a plan and trying to wait in that confusing in between in that time goes against that. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but, um, and again, st- scripture, so many examples of waiting. Noah waited for a long time for the rains to come. Mm. Abraham and Sarah waited a quarter of a century for a promised son. Joseph waited 25 years, most of which in prison and, or slavery before realizing God's purpose. Moses waited 40 years in the desert for his call to go free his people. And then another 40 years in the wilderness before those people that he got out got to go to the promised land. Right. Hannah waited years for to an answer to her prayers for a child. Elizabeth waited decades for her son, John. Job waited many years for the Lord to take him out of that long season of suffering. Um, but so in the book, he mentions uh, John of the cross. That was, that was a cool yeah. name. Like yeah. that's a great name that is. Um, back um, like 16th century. Um, and I love this quote. He says, God perceives the imperfections within us. And because of his love for us is not content to leave us in our weakness and for this reason, he takes us into the dark night. No soul will grow deep in the spiritual life unless God works passively in that soul by means of the dark night. Um, Isaiah 45, you know, there's treasures hidden in the darkness. And yeah. one of my favorite quotes, A.W. A. Tozer, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. <laughs> yeah. That's tough to process. It's hard to process. But that's all about this refining nature of the Lord and this uh, word pruning a lot. I love that term more than I love like molding yeah. because molding you're kind of softly smoothing edges right for stubborn people like me. He's kind of like clip <laughs> off these limbs that I've tried to grow on myself. Yes. Um, but that's, that's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we become more dependent on him. And so this idea of waiting and being in confusion is an, it's an alien concept when pre- right. presented as something that's good for us. That's right. But it's an essential phase that we have to embrace. Mm. And, in that time is when we, like you mentioned earlier, is, is the Father reframes our grief and loss and reveals to us the treasures within and his purpose for us going through it, and that is worth the wait. Yeah, that's good. That that Tozer uh, quote, my uh, ordaining um, pastor, Jamie Work, um, wrote in my first journal. I'm a huge believer in journaling, writing. It, r- journaling is a, a healer, mm-hmm. uh, and I've just begun to do it well. Um, been practicing a long time and just begun to really get into a groove. He wrote in my very first journal that quote, and uh, I don't, I, I'm not going to go through the full nature of it, but uh, the three components, he talks about the hammer, the file, and the fire. The hammer pounds the nail until the nail has reached its correct depth. The file grates away until the object is right where it needs to be and the fire is the most ruthless because it burns until everything that can be consumed is gone. And God is a hammer, he's a fire, and he's a nail, and he will get us to that finished place, but it's going to require some hammering, some filing, and some 
some fire, but the refined product is good. And that is the blessing, is removing all the scar tissue of the curse of sin and leaving us with an unspoiled, perfected human being made in the image of God. And that is the blessing. God will not bless a man deeply until he's hurt him deeply. And unfortunately, because of the curse of sin, it requires some hurting, some filing, some hammering, and some fire to get us to that place. But we can say definitively it is worth it. And that's phase three. Allow the old to birth the new. Yeah. Um, There's great certainty in God's promise to deliver us. Mm. Um, And in this phase, we become something new. We grow, we develop, and... It's not so much that we want to just get out of grief and loss phase. It's learning those coping skills, as we mentioned, because you need to be able to go back to that place to help others. And the Lord's going to use that. Yeah, I've seen this in my life so many times. The Lord has used my darkest times to encourage and build up others Yeah, because he walked me through that. And now I can help walk someone else through that. And he uses me to do that. He uses others in our lives. Like he could just pull me out, but he, I think he takes great joy in using his people to help heal and bring his, his other people out of that darkness. Right. With your faith intact. I think that's important. We're, We're talking about walking through hard things with our faith intact. And we're not talking about, Oh, um, I had a bad day at work. We're talking about loss, grief, hurt, existential threats and crisis. Um, We can walk through those things with our faith fully intact. And we don't have to quit on Jesus because it got hard. We quit. People quit because they believe false promises on the front end. Jesus never promises salvation without a cross. I mean, he was the example. And, And so we're talking about a God who suffers with us, not a God who's distant not some fake joy. We're talking about a God who suffers with us, and we can walk through with our faith firmly intact, knowing from whom and where whom we're going. Yeah, we, we see God through a better lens and better understand him because of that. We live in greater expectation and hope yeah. that he will do what he says he will do. Amen. So, Chris, what do you got? What's your, uh, what's your final thought for the day? My final thoughts come just, it's just Romans 8, man. That's that's where I was led through this, Romans 8. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in, in what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to its purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um Man, that's good stuff. That just yeah. Yeah, kind of like one of those battle cries. And I, but I, I just I want to end with this quote from Scazzaro because I think 
that wraps up this section pretty well. He says, when we make disciples who learn how to grow through pain, the rich fruit of God-like compassion toward others will flow from us to the world. Modeling our lives after Jesus, who loved people in extraordinary ways, now becomes a real possibility for us. Mm. We have to deal with these things, not only for our own good, but for those that the Lord is going to put in our path who are also hurting. That's how to make healthy disciples. That's good, man. I want to Isaiah chapter 30, begin verse 18. Therefore, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. All who wait patiently for him are happy. For people will live on Zion and Jerusalem. You will never weep again. He will show you favor, or he will show favor to you at the sound of your outcry. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. The Lord will give you meager bread and water during oppression, but your teacher will not hide any longer. Your eyes will see your teacher, and wherever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear this command behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, for he is with us. And he might give us meager bread and seasons, but he is there. And he's walked before us, and he will make sure we get to the other side. So if you're wrestling and you're in the middle of a dark valley, don't quit on Jesus. Hang on. Remember, there's treasures to be found, and you can get to the other side. And and there's processing to be had. I want to say as we close, if, if you are finding yourself in a place where uh, you need processing, um, you can reach out to a friend. Uh, we in the state of Georgia, we have a, a resource called 988. You can dial 988 and get live real-time access to licensed help. Um, if you're in Rome, Georgia, you can reach out to Battlefield Ministries and you can sit down with somebody that needs some help. If you're a member of Three Rivers Church, you can uh, call up somebody in your radical life group. You can hit your elders up. You can hit your ministry directors up, and, and we're glad to help you process. But as God walks you through, do it in fellowship. Do it together. Um, there are treasures to be found in grief and loss. And don't give up. Keep walking. Hey, guys, listen. We are greatly appreciative of you engaging with us. Uh, we appreciate you walking with us in emotionally healthy discipleship. And there's more to come. This is just scratching the surface because if we're going to grow up into Christ Jesus, into maturity, which is our aim, to present everyone mature in Christ, uh, there's going to be some walking we have to do together. And so we're just starting that process. We look forward to continuing. We're going to keep pushing through and uh, know that there is joy at the end of the night. We hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. See you next time. Out. Just me and my baby.